0: our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight very grateful for this place of worship and our pastor and your word and for all your provisions that we can come here and worship you unashamed. We can gather together and be all in together as family knowing this is the truth And knowing you're the only Lord, God, and Savior we need to pay attention to. So we thank you for this privilege and your spirit and your word. And most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his gospel that makes this all possible for us every day, to live in freedom, to walk by faith in freedom, in grace. We just thank you for who you are and all you've done for us. We ask that you help us focus on your word right now, guide us by your spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit, amen. All right, why are the apostles so encouraging? By grace that we're prepared, part 57. I want to start this way this evening, reminding us all that a minister's job is to minister go figure. Whatever that minister's title might be, doesn't really matter. And honestly, you're all ministers. If you're a believer in Christ, we're all called to do the work of an evangelist, for example. But a minister's job is to minister. And that doesn't mean telling people what they want to hear, unlike the world will tell you. It means caring enough to tell people the truth, just as our Lord did, even when it was offensive. It means caring enough to tell people the truth, just as our Lord did, even when it was offensive. Remember what our Lord said to the disciples on the board in Matthew 17, 17? And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And that was said in the presence of his disciples not the religious Pharisees. So Jesus had no problem being even uncomfortably direct for the sake of truth, for the sake of true ministering. And so we know we get that in our church, right? Thank God from our pastor. But, you know, you look at those words on the board and you have to go, ouch, you know, what do the apostles think or feel? but it was good for them. It probably stripped away some of the garbage that was holding them back. Jesus was honestly ministering to people with the heart's desire to set them free from their bondages. That's what true ministering involves. Um, Sometimes it can be done in gentleness and, and mercy, and at other times it's telling the hard truth Yet with love is the motivation. So let's revisit our main passage as of late, one of our main passages. Turn again to Eph- Ephesians 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5 1. And allow this passage to minister to you on how to live your daily lives or life as a believer. And here we see both the encouragements and the warnings of ministering. Ephesians five one. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality... Or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. This has been our theme for the last couple of weeks. Do not be partakers with them. It means to partake. It means to share. It means to celebrate with. You know, don't partake with them, those of, that are walking in darkness. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. There again is that word participate, or similar to partake. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So again, there we see a lot of encouragements and warnings, uh, the Word of God ministering to us, if you will, through the Spirit. And our warning as of late relates to the warnings we just read in this passage. On the board, we are under unprecedented attack in our church, If you don't see it, you're either passively ignoring it or actively part of the problem. Wake up. The Spirit's been warning us against compromising with the world and being biased towards people that we love. And part of that is not telling them the whole truth. Part of that is celebrating with them ungodly things. Because in doing that very thing, you're lying to them. You're not telling them the whole truth you not being honest to them in love. So again, the Spirit's been warning us against compromising with the world and being biased towards people we love. If people we love are slowly dragging us away from the Lord and bringing us down, that's who we must be on guard with because it will culminate in taking down our soul and even our church possibly. And that might sound like over-the-top dramatic a little bit. But that's the end goal of the kingdom of darkness. That's what the kingdom of darkness wants to do to each of us individually and as a unit. He wants to take us away, draw us away slowly, really slowly, so we don't even notice it, uh, compromising along the way, gaining new friends along the way because we compromise. And now you have an alternative to gather together. And what it, what, what's he doing? He's just deceiving us. And the way we can tell if we should be spending time with people like that or not is love for God. If there's no love for God, if people are totally living their own life and, you know, trying to pull you away, away, even as nice as they might be, um, you need to be on heavy alert and you need to watch out that you don't celebrate. With people like that, because in the end they're against God. Doesn't mean don't care for them, don't be there for them if there's a need, uh, evangelize, whatever. There's a difference again between celebrating with someone and tolerating somebody. You might have to love them from a distance for a while. It might be the best thing you do for them, by the way. And we've also been given this: Beware any person who's trying to take you away from the love of God is an enemy of God. It might sound harsh, especially if they're a quote-unquote good person. But that's the truth. If someone's trying to take you away from the love of God, they're a very subtle enemy or they're being used by the enemy, maybe unknowingly. But it could be those closest to you. And pastor's job, or a pastor's job, is to be honest with you, from a good heart. And ours is lovingly telling us what he sees. The pastor's job is to minister to you out of eagerness, commendably seeking what's best for you in the Lord. Turn again to 1 Peter 5.2. 1 Peter 5.2. Again, a minister, his job is to minister. And it doesn't mean just saying what you want to hear. It means being honest for, for your overall goodness, for your overall well-being. First Peter 5.2 Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. That reminds us of Galatians 4.17, sought in a commendable manner. But with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. We receive this reminder from the Spirit on the board regarding proving to be examples If your pastor is righteously indignant about the things he is seeing in his congregation, maybe, just maybe, those in his congregation ought to ponder his example. In other words, why is he so, you know, vehement, let's say, about this subject? Why is this warning so loud? There's got to be a reason. So, in other words, don't take it lightly. Use that example as motivation, even if you don't see exactly what might be going on in the church or in your own life. Use it as motivation or a reason to inquire. Be inquisitive of the Spirit. Be like, Lord, show me. What am I missing here? I must be missing something. Happens all the time with me. I don't know about you. I must be missing something. Open my eyes. Put it in front of my face. Um, Bring the right scripture in. The way that he can bring the scripture into you, making it personal, that it's obviously a message. But whatever it is, open your mind and your heart because this isn't just like, you know, something pastor loves to do, for example. It'd be much easier to teach fun stuff all the time. Much easier. But there's a reason that this warning's coming forth right now. If the spiritual gift of pastor includes discernment, the ability to see things coming, Uh, to warn and protect his sheep. Shouldn't we trust his warnings so long as they line up with Holy Scripture? Shouldn't we trust his warnings? What does trust mean? What does faith mean? It means to believe without seeing. Trust that there is something real even if you don't see it yet. And just thought of this analogy as I was studying. Think about a literal shepherd in a field. Think about a shepherd in a field right now with a bunch of sheep. He's up here, right? The sheep are down here. So you're walking in a field. He's walking his sheep in the field with him. If we're all slowly walking over a hill together, who sees what's coming first? Who sees the the wolf or whatever animal that's crouching down as low to the ground as he can be in his approach? The one who's up here or the one who's down there? So if the spiritual gift of pastor involves this discernment, this ability to see certain things, and the sheep are often blind to it for whatever reason, either they're too short or their head's in a thicket or they're looking for water, but they don't know how to find water on their own. That's a true story. So shouldn't we trust the shepherd who has the vantage point? Who has the view? He sees wolves coming on the horizon. Uh, shouldn't we maybe listen to the warning? This is one of the very reasons God has given us pastors and teachers. On the board in Ephesians four eleven through 12. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And Pastor asked us to think about this on Sunday. I mean, just consider the fact that in the last week alone, you've had an ordained pastor, an ordained evangelist, and an ordained deacon shoot warning flares across your bow. Nah, there's no enemy out here. Look at this. It's beautiful out here. When you see flares going across the bow, keep your head on a swivel. In your life, you should have your head on a swivel right now, looking around. Who's who's approaching you? Who are you hanging with that you think is harmless and, you know, when you're not looking, they're doing something, saying something, uh, building up a case against you? Who knows? So think about it. Why would the Holy Spirit be pressing this on our souls right now? Why not just teach something easy, something we want to hear? Because the spiritual battle is a real one. You know whether you want to believe that or not, whether you're you're faint-hearted to think about that stuff, the spiritual battle is an ugly, harsh, real one. And it's for the souls of men. And Satan would love nothing more than to keep unbelievers unbelieving and to get believers turned away, totally becoming oblivious to the spiritual battle, wrapped up in the world, like a little puppet even for him. The spiritual battle is a real one, and we are being alerted to a danger over the crest of the hill. So if you can't see it right now, at least pay attention and keep your head on a swivel. We don't want the wool pulled over our eyes, right? Pun intended. Ha! Go to 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8. <laughs> it's as funny as it gets for me. <laughs> hey, why'd you laugh so hard at that? <laughs> uh, i got to look up where that expression came from. The wool pulled over our eyes. Must have to do with sheep, right? I don't know. First Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We saw... On the board this past week, be of sober spirit. Do not live carelessly. That's a a very important word. Uh, It really hit me. Do not live carelessly. Listen, we, we can live in freedom, thank God, because of Christ and His blood. We can live in freedom from condemnation and judgment because of what He did. But now you're still in the devil's world. Do not live carelessly flippantly, like there's nothing going on just because you can't see the invisible battle and the angels around you. Be of sober spirit, do not live carelessly. Your enemies are looking for you to let your guard down. A perfect example is with physical intoxication, aka dissipation in Ephesians 5:18, but that's hardly the extent of it. We saw in 1 Peter 4:7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit, for the purpose of prayer. That kind of hit me too like, For the purpose of prayer, be of sound judgment and sober spirit, so you can pray more effectively. So you can be alert. If you're not of sober spirit, if you let things intoxicate you, whether it be literal or figurative in the world, you're not going to be able to pray. You're not going to be equipped to pray. You're not going to be on the alert. If you you don't see what's coming over the hill, you're not going to pray for that. So be of sober spirit for that purpose. Interesting. Again, look at 1 Peter 5.8 in your Bibles. 1 Peter 5.8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. On the board, the word devour in the Greek is katapino. And it means to drink down, i.e. gulp and tire, literally or figuratively. I don't know about what that says to you, but to me that says no mercy. Satan and the kingdom of darkness have no mercy whatsoever. And as soldiers of Christ, he'd love to bury us. Deep in the ground, useless, in the darkness, so to speak. No mercy. What's his objective? Devour somebody. This reminds us of the devil's utter ruthlessness. His goal is to totally destroy us in the spiritual sense, which is where true life exists. True life doesn't exist in how smoothly our life is going in terms of logistics and details and even friendships and things like that. True life is spiritual life, right? Spiritual freedom, uh, joy, peace with God. Satan wants to wreck that. He's horrible. And this is why the Spirit's been on us to persistently guard our hearts and to stand firm in the faith. Keep your head in a swivel. Don't take things for granted or assume things about certain people in your life because they're a good person. Uh, there's a deceptive battle going on, and, and he will even use, Satan will even use, your best friends, your closest family to get under your skin or to come behind your back to surprise you, to catch you off guard so you can be a casualty. And eventually he can devour you totally, take you away from faith. And one other thing the Spirit's been on us for is the value of good conduct And how obedience is actually a protection for us. Obedience is actually a protection for us. On the board, listen up. Do not make the mistake of thinking that the call to good conduct or behavior is some form of religion or legalism. The Bible speaks volumes of such things. Take heed. I mean, it's all over the Bible. These instructions, these... um, encouragements to act a certain way, to live a certain way, it's all for our own good. And obedience to those things is actually going to protect you in the process. Go to Ephesians 2:10 once again. Ephesians 2:10. So again, it's kind of like on staying on the narrow path. If you stay on the narrow path, you're protected. You're protected from a lot of the attacks that are on the outside of the path. That might be tempting you, but if you stay on the path, if you're obedient to the path, you're going to be protected. Ephesians 2.10, what are we here for? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Notice it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's talking about being born again, being born of the Spirit. Why were you born again? What's what's the purpose? What's, What's the objective of your life now that you're born again? For good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So you cannot please God if you do not, by faith, walk in the works He's designed for you personally that includes ignoring what's coming from your church's pulpit which was designed by God for you personally like Ephesians 2.10 says which God prepared beforehand he prepared all these lessons, he prepared this building, he prepared all of you he prepared everyone in this church operating in a certain gift Uh, he prepared this very night, he allowed us to be here this very night he knew it was going to be taught so if he prepared all this beforehand, shouldn't we by faith receive it? We're here for a reason. So on the board, take it personally. If it's coming from this pulpit and your ears are hearing it, it was meant for you. As opposed to all those other people you've been pointing your finger at. This message and this warning is meant for you, for each, each and every one of us. If we're here right now, we're not here by coincidence. Coincidence. So go to 1 Peter one thirteen, where we see a little bit more about this. 1 Peter one thirteen. I mean, take it personally, folks. It's a big mistake to not take it personally. You know, you're in a way saying it's by chance or it's not meant for me. But the whole plan of God is talking about what's meant for us and that God has figured it all out from the beginning and He has you right where He wants you right now. Take it personally. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. What sobering truth in that passage? And that's good, to keep us humble. We are nothing. God is everything. So shouldn't we heed his word? Uh, You know, I've been thinking about this lately. Do, and this goes for all of us too, even as believers, do we really believe the Bible is the word of God? Because if people and even believers really believe the Bible was the word of God, they run to open it up every day. So there's a faith issue. If no one's reading their Bibles. If it's the actually the Word of God, even if you don't understand it all, that's not the issue. If it's the Word of God, shouldn't we like be holding it like precious and like, I don't know, looking forward to what God might even show us one ounce of truth when we open it? It's interesting. But as it says on the board, God is not impartial. Oh, God is impartial. Sorry. He's not partial. But God is impartial. If God is impartial, then we ought to be, if we indeed fear Him. This means no partiality towards family, friends, or loved ones. This means not becoming intoxicated with or because of such people. It means like no playing favorites. And I was thinking about this today, too. I was going for a walk. I guess I had a lot of thinking today, huh? But um, thank God that God's impartial. Can you imagine if God played favorites and you had to get on his good list? How horrible would that be? Thank God he's perfectly fair. And he's like, you follow me, here's your reward. You don't follow me, that's just you reap what you sow. It's perfectly fair perfectly fair plan, and he looks at the heart, he hopes that you're humble, he gives you faith by grace, if you want it, if you receive it, but he's perfectly fair. Thank God for that. Uh, He's not playing games, and so neither, neither should we with people, even those that we love. God loves everybody, but he doesn't play favorites. It's like, here's the truth. I'm ministering to you. Here's the truth. Do you want it? and he's totally fair about it. Again, look at 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice the progression in this one verse. It's a picture of how to think and live now in an attentive way, until the Lord comes back and takes us home. Again, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Live now, attentively, prepared, eager, until the Lord comes back and takes us home. And again, what does it say in the first part of the verse? Prepare your minds for what? Action. You're on stage for a limited time only. That's true. (laughs) It's true. You're on stage. We're all on stage right now for a limited time only. This is your opportunity. This is your role to play. And pretty soon it's going to be over for every single one of us. This is your opportunity. The curtains have opened. What are you going to do with it? Are you prepared for action, in other words? Have you prepared your minds for action? Have you set your minds in that direction? I'm not playing around anymore. That's what we all should say to ourselves, you know. I'm not playing around anymore. I'm all in. I'm, I'm here to rejoice in this salvation each and every day. And I'm preparing my mind for action because I'm a servant of the Lord, God. On the board in 1 Corinthians 4.9 in the NIV, Paul wrote, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. If the word of God says that, it's true. This is the reality of the situation. As believers in Christ, we're on stage in an event called life that has eternal repercussions. right now, and maybe for a short time, definitely for a limited time. This is it. This is it. This is your one chance. You don't get to come back as a rabbit and try to, you know, live a different life, live a good life. All right? There's no reincarnation. This is it. This is your one chance. Are our minds prepared for action? Because you're on stage whether you like it or not. Angels are looking and observing every day. Your life. As crazy as that sounds, it actually means something. Because by grace through faith, we can bring glory to God, even in front of the angels. So on the board for godly action, keep sober in spirit so you can be diligent in taking action for the Lord. While there's still time. I mean, I think about this all the time. What if the Lord told you you had, you know, five days left? What would you do? And if you would do something differently, why would you do something differently? Isn't it very possible the rapture could come in five days? Or tonight? Or next month? Or he could call you home whenever he wants to call you home personally? So, like, think spiritually right get out of our own way get out of the box for a minute think spiritually what's going on what's going on is you're alive right now and you're going to be dead real soon or raptured and you're going to be with the Lord face to face like our new track says face to face and that's it there's no going back there's no oh, wait oh I should have done this and can you send me back for a couple more days right now we're on stage folks for godly action, prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. That's why we need to be sober in spirit. If we're not sober in spirit, whatever that means to you, you're not going to be uh, alert, right? Isn't, don't sober and alert go together. But if you're not sober, <laughs> you can't be too quick on the draw. You can't be paying attention spiritually to the harassments, to the attacks, uh, maybe even protecting a loved one because you're alert, because you're sober in spirit. So again, on the board, keep sober in spirit so you can be diligent in taking action for the Lord while there's still time. Because he could be returning for us any day now, and we don't want any regrets. I don't want any of you to have any regrets. I'm sure you don't want me to have any regrets. Like, let's run this race as hard as we can together. You know? And he's given us each other to do that thing, to help us do that thing. Thank God. And this reminds me of the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 25, verse 1. The ten virgins were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And some were prepared and some weren't. And really, it comes down to some didn't prepare their minds for action, and some did. Some were careless, and some were careful. Sober of spirit, we might say. Look at Matthew 25, 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. In other words, they did not prepare their minds for action. They didn't think ahead. They didn't think or anticipate what the Lord might want for them. So again, in verse 3, For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, They all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, The bridegroom came, and those who were ready, notice those who were ready, went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Be on the alert. Be sober in spirit. Anticipate the Lord might come today. Every day you wake up, you should consider the Lord might come today. So I'm going to be on the alert. I'm going to have my eyes open, kind of looking on the horizon, see what he wants me to do. Being prudent means prepared for action. Standing firm in the faith each day, one day at a time as if the Lord's coming today. And one of the characteristics of the true believer is that he is eagerly waiting for the Lord's return. That's one of the characteristics. He's not living a life of indifference, of carelessness, unprepared for the Lord. Go to Hebrews 9, 27, so we can see this. Hebrews 9, 27. Just like we read in the Gospel of John that one of the characteristics of a true believer is they follow him. Jesus says, I know my sheep. They hear my voice and they follow me. That's what my sheep do. Well, they also eagerly wait for his return. In Hebrews 9, 27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. To those who eagerly await him. So set your mind to walk in truth, prepared for action as a follower of Jesus Christ. And every day we have a choice to accept lies or truth, Every day we wake up. So be on the alert. Keep your head on a spiritual swivel. What's going on? Why is there a warning right now? What am I missing? On the board in Second Corinthians ten five in the Amplified, we are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Is that you? Is that your, how your mind is set? No one's perfect, but is that how your mind is set? To do that thing? To destroy sophisticated arguments and everything that's exalted and proud that sets itself up against the knowledge of God? Might be a friend of yours. We're taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. On Sunday, the Spirit again brought up how we are master justifiers. And this came up a few months ago, if you remember, too. How We are master justifiers. And one reason we've got to stop justifying things in our lives is because we only have so much time and energy in a day. There's only so much we have to work with. So where is it going? What's it going towards? Just think about it. There's only so much we can choose to put our focus on or put our faith in. So, which ones are going to be? On the board, first of all, are you a master justifier? Focusing your time and your energy on how to get away with things, justifying why it's okay to do certain things, even using scripture out of context to do so. I mean, we're all guilty to some degree, and at times anyway, in our lives with our own issues. But is this like your habit? Are you always finding ways to keep your life the way you want it? Even though it might be ungodly? And think of the time and energy that takes. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, isn't it? I speak from personal experience. It's mentally exhausting to try to maintain this balance and stay on the fence and justify certain things in your life. When God might be asking, you just drop certain things, stop it, and... Go forward in the faith of a child. If the word says it, just stop doing what's questionable in your life and just follow the word. Drop from your life whatever you've been rationalizing. Change your perspective and just follow his ways as an obedient child and watch the peace and happiness in your life increase. Again, we have on the board, we have limited time and energy. So are you a master justifier or will you be a master follower, a master giver, and a master lover? Use your time and faith wisely. The Lord's coming soon. Amen. That's the reality. The Lord's coming soon. What are you putting your time and your faith and your energy into? Um, Just like just like a liar, someone that's a a chain liar, whatever you call it, they keep lying to cover their past lie. It takes a ton of time and energy and concentration to make sure you, you don't mess up, right? That's the justifier. It's the same thing. You can drop all that. You can be like, ugh, I'm gonna I'm gonna surrender. Again, it's maybe another phase in your life of surrender towards God, of repentance. But we can stop being that justifier guy and we can focus on mastering, following Christ, giving, loving, being like Christ. So use your time and faith wisely. The Lord is coming soon. Even if the rapture doesn't come in our lifetimes, we all have limited time left, don't we? So stop playing pretend. The Bible says we only have days. I don't care how young you are in this room. The Bible says we have days. So you you know you don't you shouldn't be looking ahead too far. <laughs> Planning your life or thinking you'll get to it later. If the rapture happens tomorrow, will you have regrets or not? So that perspective will deliver us from living in lies. Maybe that's why we don't know the day or the hour of the rapture. It could be any moment, the Lord says. So that perspective prevents us from living in lies, really, if you think about it, and justifying things. It's like, this could be the last day. I'm, I'm going to stop pretending. I'm going to stop playing around and justifying certain garbage in my life. I'm going all in, you know, and phew, uh, life is so short. So this includes dropping self-justification and rationalization. As we saw in 1 Peter 4, 7, on the board... The end of all things is near. That's the way to live. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Turn again to Ephesians 5, verse 13. (coughs) Excuse me. Come <clears throat> all right, Ephesians 5:13. <laughs> let me keep. Let me laugh. <clears throat> what are you laughing at? Yeah. Ephesians 5:13. It's getting. It's coming. It's coming. All right. <clears throat> but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Think of Jesus Christ here, by the way. He is the light, right? And he's coming soon. So that should make us want to wake up in verse 14. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil making the most of your time because the days are evil. Again, on the board, our goal is undistracted devotion to the Lord. Every day, if we can get a little bit closer to that thing, remember that diagram with the curve coming up? You know, the line of perfections up here, right? And that curve is getting closer and closer to that line, which is truth, which is perfect truth and love and Jesus Christ. We never touch it but we can get closer to it every single day, closer to undistracted devotion to the Lord. Can any of us ever have totally, truly undistracted devotion to the Lord 100%? It's not possible in this life. It's not possible. 100% perfection, perfect, undistracted devotion, but we can get closer and closer to it every single day, and that's our goal, and our attitude is one of commitment. So let's take all this that we've talked about back with us to our primary course of study on the board. What the apostles lacked, and right now we're on power. Matthew seventeen sixteen through seventeen, John twenty twenty two through twenty three, and Acts one eight. So turn in your Bibles again to Matthew seventeen as we begin to close. We're not closing yet. We're beginning to close. <clears throat> We'll do a little review of this topic again, as pastor probably will get back to it on Thursday. Matthew 17, talking about power. Verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. Ouch. Again, right? Direct truth. Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. So here's what we've concluded so far from this passage. On the board. Faith is power. The reason the apostles didn't have the power to cure the man's son was they lacked faith. Jesus had already given them the ability to cast out demons in Matthew 10, verse 8, a year prior. So why didn't they have power? Very simply, they lacked faith. And so we've got to be encouraged by this, even though the Lord had some harsh words for the apostles. They were still his, you know, crew. They were his followers, they were his believers, they were blessed by him, they went on to do wonderful things in their lives over time by grace through faith, but we should be encouraged. If it happened to them, it's going to happen to us. We fight the same spiritual battle that the apostles did, including trying to get out of our own way and operating in faith, and it's okay, it's part of the process we have to go through but let's know and understand that faith is power. Some of us lack the power to overcome much smaller obstacles in our lives, much smaller than casting out demons, for example. And it's not because God's power is insufficient somehow. God's omnipotent. The reason is simple. We lack faith the same way the apostles did. And God's working on us. As long as you're humbly still following him, God's going to complete the good work in you one day. So don't quit. I was reading the Gospel of Luke the other day, and something jumped out to me in the angel's prophecy to the shepherds at the birth of Christ. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 2.13. I want to share this with you. Luke 2.13. on the idea that faith is power, Luke 2.13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host uh, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. Notice it doesn't say peace to all men but for those with whom he is pleased. Well, who is God pleased with? There's really only one group that God's pleased with on the board in Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So with faith, it is possible to please God. It's really the only way to please God. Again, in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Look what Mary said in her grateful response to the Lord using her in Luke 1, verse 50. Go back back a page to Luke 1, verse 50. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him not towards all men. His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear Him. So we're back to faith and humility. On the board, faith is power. It's the only way we can please the Lord, opening up the floodgates of His grace towards us, which is also power. Hebrews 11.6, and also Luke 152 part B Look at Luke 152 He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble Exalted lifted up given power He has exalted those who were humble Those who walk by grace through faith those who fear him So we know the Lord wants us to have a humble, repentant faith. But as came up on Sunday, faith in what exactly? On the board, what do we lack? Faith in general, yes, but also in the power of the Word of God. In the power of the Word of God. Kind of what I was talking about earlier, where believers... Don't go to the Word of God. So do they really believe it's actually the Word of God? And this is for all of us to ponder because we all have progress to make, right? With our faith? With our trusting God, with our trusting His Word. So what do we lack? That's what we lack. So let's just synthesize two verses as we close tonight. I'll turn to Romans ten seventeen. Romans ten seventeen. And we have to ask ourselves honestly in our own hearts: Do we believe the Bible contains the very words of God? And if we did, would we act differently toward it? Romans ten seventeen: So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And on the board in John one one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, I have personally had to examine myself in this area. So in your Bibles, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. You want more faith? That's what you need to do. Because the Word of God is the Word of God. Where else are you going to get the word of life. Where else are you going to get the words of eternal life? The truth. Nowhere. But if you submit and surrender to the word of Christ, you get more faith. And on the board in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So again, on the board, what do we lack? Faith in general, but also in the power of the word of God. So something to just ponder for your own walk in your own motivation and your own heart and we'll continue with this on Thursday evening. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your grace and your mercy towards us. We thank you for giving us by grace things like faith and humility. We ask, Father, that you continue to humble us, help us to have an appropriate fear of you, to walk in your word and to walk in the works you've placed before us, prepared beforehand by you personally for us. Father, help us bring your word out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Amen.